In the bird world, it takes a lot to attract a mate. Some go for colorful costumes, others choreograph a complex dance, and a select few even dabble in architecture. But why do any of that when you can go for sheer volume? There's one little aviator that produces its own air raid siren to get attention from the ladies. When she stops for a closer look, she's blasted with a wave of sound the likes of which are rare in nature. But sometimes the squeaky wheel gets the grease, in life, death, and taxonomy. Welcome back to Life, Death, and Taxonomy. It's your 30 minutes of interesting animal information. I'm Joe. And I'm Carlos. And today we're talking about a bird with perfect projection for a passeriform. But more on that later. Perfect passeriform projection. It's what you learn in every acting class. <laughs> you mean like a warm-up? A warm-up. That's right. The early bird gets gets the warm-up. Perfect perf- See, I need this. Perfect projection for a passeriform. You need avian articulation classes. (laughs) Nice. But yeah, we're talking about the the uh, passeriform. That's right. Absolutely right. right. Uh, The white bellbird, which that's it. It's a it's a it's a bird that's shaped exactly um, like the Liberty Bell. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the major fact. It's got a big crack in it. Has has a really hard time flying and. yeah, that's about it. Not exactly. It looks... <laughs> we'll get into what it looks like. What is it called besides white so, bellbird? So what we're going to call it here is um, For Plume the Bellbird Tolls. Nice. <laughs> and uh, I I apologize for this in advance, but waddle with me, waddle with me, waddle with me. <laughs> and we'll uh, talk about waddles in a little bit. <laughs> I actually despise that song. Um, but it was, it was, it just fit as a nickname. Why do you hate that song? Cause it's, I don't like the way that it sounds. And I think that the dance looks ridiculous and I hear it at every single wedding I go to. Really? It's that it's made it into the, uh, into the, the archive of wedding songs. Huh? Yeah. It's, it's there with, cause it's, it's a, it's a song that everyone can uh, easily dance to. So it had like the, um, the walking by yourself song or whatever. Um, that and like Cotton Eye Joe and the, the, the cha-cha slide are the ones that have replaced the electric slide as the easy dance to songs. <laughs> I mean, the wedding, I mean, this bird is dressed in white. So, okay. That's, <laughs> Back to that's that. True. That's true. This is a, this is a white bird. Um, although the males are white and we'll talk about the females later and, uh, they are not white. So I don't know what that symbolizes. Um, but let's ta- taxonomize this for, for a second. Taxonomize this with me. Um, Let's start with the kingdom. And I know this is going to be a big surprise um, because we like it and we love it and we're in it and we got to have it and we want some more of it. And you love it It, and you're in it. It's Kingdom of Amalia. (laughs) Hooray. Uh, The the phylum is Chordata, as all birds are. And also with all birds, the class is Aves. So I hope everybody's just at, at this point uh, picked up on at least getting to the the class part, and and you heard us uh, call it a passeriform, and that means that it's in the order passeriformes, which we've been here before. The bowerbird is passeriform. 
I'm sure like there are some some animals out there that would still even stump us as to the first three. Well, not the first one if it's an animal. The the but if, the class the, the for most of the ones that we do the class is is um like I can I can get yeah, but but like imagine mammalia, reptilia, amphibia, aves. They're they're pretty self-explanatory there. But I'm sure there's some like shapes from the ocean that I would be like, hmm, I don't know what that is. That a mollusk? Is it a crustacean? Is it a cephalopod? But we're not talking about the ocean. We're talking about the trees and what's in the trees, which are birds. So the order is Passeriformes. The phylum is here we go. Cotingidae. Now, NG threw me off. I was like, I really don't see that combination of letters in Latin very often. Cotingidae. The genus is Procneus. It's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Like, like, a, like a Greek hero. And this, the species is Albus. Yeah. So, so the binomial name is uh, uh, Procneus, Albus, Percival, Wolfric, Brian, Dumbledore. 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 <laughs> Yeah, um, what does what does albus mean? Does it just mean white, like albino? I uh, well, it, it's supposed to be alba, but because of the um, I don't know, they said it was it was the, the gender albus of genus. Works. Yeah, yeah, I might mean white, albino. Well, since we're in the business of naming things, it's time for my favorite part of the show: critter groups. The part of the show where I ask you, Joe, a question, and that question is the same every time, and that is, what is the name of the collective noun for this animal, or what is the, like, what's the name of a group of this animal, or what is the term of venery for this animal? Um, all the same question, and since the white bellbird is relatively understudied, and uh, it's an <laughs> it's an understudy, um, and uh, people have not done a lot of research on it and definitely have not gone to the the trouble of giving it a specific uh, collective noun the answer is already flock but um, it's in the order Passeriformes so uh, another animal that's in the order Passeriformes is finches which have a particular collective noun so let's find out what the the term of entry is for finches if you saw a group of them would you say hey look at that A trembling of finches b peck of finches c flutter of finches or d rabble of finches what was the first one trembling i'm going with trembling i don't like it but i'm going with it final answer yeah ding 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 wow you are correct it was between the last it was the the first and the last were what i was torn between yeah, flutter and peck things like seem like things I came up with, you know, five seconds ago. But you know, I definitely, I definitely prepared this long beforehand. <laughs> uh, sweet, oh, good, good job. Another it's, one yeah, it's, in the W column. It's a trembling of finches. Well, congratulations. Woo! It is another one in the W column for you. So let's talk about where this thing uh, lives, so we get a good geographical representation. This so the the white bellbird lives in northeast South America. I know that sounds weird, uh, but here here are the countries: it's um, Guyana, French Guyana, Brazil, Suriname, Venezuela, and uh, Trinidad and Tobago. 
which all together make up an area called the Guyana Shield, which sounds awesome. Mm-hmm. It's not awesome to be there right now, but um, it's, it's, it just sounds like a cool name. Uh, there are a lot of dense tropical and subtropical forests there, and that's where our boy, the bellbird, likes to hang out. So now you've got you're imagining this dense rainforest, perhaps uh, in the in the in the jungles of of Brazil, and you're like, okay, so what what bird do I place there on that little branch? Well, uh, it really kind of looks like your average passerine bird. You know, if it, it like like a crow or a raven or a bower bird, um, but it has white feathers instead of black ones. Um, at least the males do. It has, you know, the, that kind of oblong potato-shaped body with a, with a you know, a proportional head kind of resting on top and beady black eyes. It has a sharp, medium-sized beak. So it's not like as short as a finch's, but also not like a stork bill. Uh, so it's, you know, it's medium-sized. And females are not white. They are like a drab green-yellowish. So it, it must be pretty weird to look at a drab green and yellow bird crow thing and just be like, hey, look, a white bellbird. <laughs> it must have taken forever for them to even realize they were in the same species. But the key distinguishing feature of the white bellbird is an Anakin Skywalker style rat tail that <laughs> hangs from the beaks of males. And that's called a waddle. It's called a waddle. I think that was the name of Anakin's slave master. <laughs> hey, Annie, you want to race? <laughs> Waddle. <laughs> um, it, uh, it it doesn't look like it's good for anything. It looks like it's it lo- very annoying to have. It looks annoying. It looks like a liability <laughs> all the time. Uh, let me describe it. So it, it looks like one half of a long, nappy mustache. <laughs> like a big dreadlock mustache. That he's been growing and and it's like it's held together by dirt and sweat and oil. Um, it's not it's, hair it, though, right? It's like that nasty skin around a bird's beak that like Muscovy ducks have bubbling up around their face. Yeah, I, I, I looked at what a waddle was. I looked it up and Wikipedia said uh, a waddle is a fleshy caruncle hanging from it i was like wait hold on what's a caruncle (laughs) please define the words in your definition i looked that up and it said a caruncle is defined as a small fleshy excrescence that is and i was like hang on again (laughs) what is an excrescence so i looked that up and it's an unattractive or superfluous addition or feature so um unattractive except for if you're bellbird yeah, exactly. Waddles are used for attracting attracting mates, so I don't think the definition is accurate because it's neither unattractive to other bellbirds or superfluous. Uh, it's super, superfluous in terms of their anatomy and the function of their body. But I mean, it's not vestigial. It serves a, a vital function, and it's uh, you know, it's it, it adapts to have a longer waddle bird like the way a bird looks is largely determined by what the ladies like a lot of animals are largely determined by what the ladies like that's true but the ones that just fight like most mammals are just bigger and stronger because of that or bigger horns or antlers right true very true but basically a waddle just just think of those things that like roosters and turkeys have going around 
their hideous like faces mm-hmm. not exactly the bellbird of the ball are they no indeed unless you're benjamin franklin and you <laughs> want a turkey to be the national bird well you know he electrocuted turkeys with his electro gun back That's in the day tr- is that i thought that was uh, thomas edison no that was benjamin franklin oh thomas edison used the, the electro gun on an elephant <laughs> One of those things is kind of true. <laughs> if by electro gun you mean giant pad uh, of charge of electricity, then yes. Yes. I think electro gun for Benjamin Franklin was kind of this this Cloud? jar. It was like a jar that um, could send like f- uh, stunning frequencies out. We're really mixing fake facts and real facts together in a way that is <laughs> untrustworthy. <laughs> yeah, no unless it's about animals, don't trust us. Um but even then, do your research. Back it up. <laughs> uh so but there are also birds called umbrella birds that use their wattles to amplify their calls, uh which is interesting. But basically, um the the bellbird's wattle is black it's it's so it's i mean it it takes up it's like it's ho- almost whole body length and it hangs off of the side of the top of its beak and it's just this long thin knotty rope kind of thing it's black and it has like these white little sections that i saw were called rosettes on it which is like Bleh. but um <laughs> well also like they move around like they twitch like a bird does. You know, they twist their heads really quickly. And this thing flings around all <laughs> over the place. It definitely hits them in the face a lot. It's really floppy. It's, it, yeah, it seems definitely like something that could easily get caught in things or other animals to grab. It's just it, it definitely a liability. There's actually a three-waddled bellbird. Um, that actually looks like a Lovecraftian nightmare bird. Oh my! I want to. Is what's it? Is it called Three Waddled? The Three Waddled Bellbird, uh-huh. and it has it has one one coming out on either side of its beak, and then it has another one coming out of the very top. And usually, pictures have it like in the process of doing one of its calls with its mouth open, and yeah, it just looks like it's. Uh, it's been stricken with some like darkness malady He's that stri- is reaching out to attack blight. people. <laughs> yeah, and there's another uh, bellbird called the bearded bellbird that makes me want to throw up a little bit because its entire underside of its um, beak and neck are just like these hanging stalactites. Whichever one comes from the ceiling. Stalactites hang from the ceiling. Okay, thanks. Stalactites. Oh. <laughs> I'm looking at a picture of it. It's really gross. And these like this black wiggly tentacles coming out of its face. It's like a like oh, little Davy Jones. Yeah, it's like the Davy Jones bird. Mm. Keeping up with the Davy Joneses. So, so yeah, now we know we all know what a waddle is. Look up those pictures when you get the chance, everybody, because uh then you'll know what I'm talking about. And you'll never forget it. <laughs> But, you know, it, it, it really is outside of the waddle. It really is your, your average passerine bird. But passerine birds can range in size drastically from the tiny finch to the huge raven. So where does the bellbird fall, Joe? 
Interesting you should bring that up. Welcome to the beloved Measure Up segment, the official listener's favorite part of the show. The part of the show that uh, when we present the animal size and dimensions in relatable terms through a quiz for the whole family. And it's fun for the whole family. It's also part of the show that's introduced by you. When you send an audio of yourself saying singing or uh, twittering, chittering, twittering, (laughs) Uh, the words measure up into ldtaxonomy at gmail.com. I decided to change it up because we're doing a verb. We tweet, tweeting? Yeah, tweeting. We, I forgot, I've forgotten what words are since before Twitter. Um, it's, we have, it's, it really has changed our language. We do have a new measure up intro this week from one of our good friends, Julia. Who Hooray! you hear from, you hear from her every week if you stay to the end of the episode. Without further ado, the listener's favorite part of the show. Measure up. I hope you get it right, Carlos. And with that (laughs) vote of confidence. That's a lot of pressure. (laughs) Well, she's she's not saying, like, you have to. She's just saying she hopes you do. Yeah. There aren't expectations. There are only hopes. I'm sure they support you either way. Good. Thank you, Julia. This is this this is probably going to go poorly, but thanks, Julia. Uh, let's talk about the male size. Uh, they're twenty eight point five centimeters or eleven point twenty two inches. Females are slightly smaller at twenty seven point five centimeters. Actually, yeah. Uh, how many bellbirds go into the distance of the first long distance telephone call? How many inches? 11.22. 11.22. Here's a hint. The call was sent on August, uh, in August of 1876 by Alexander Graham Bell, and it was one way. This is now. This is not the f- the first ever like time he ever made a call, transmitted his voice. The one where he famously said, um, "Like Mr. Watson, who was his assistant, Mr. Watson, come in here. I want to. I want." to see you or something like that. Uh, that was the first time voice was transmitted like that, but that was like from room to room. I think, I don't think that was even, even like outside the same place, but this is two different places. Yeah. It would require laying down telephone line. So I can't imagine he like called New York from Charleston or something like that. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to say he sent this five miles. That's pretty far. I imagine... I don't know what long distance means. Fine, five miles. That works for me. Um, you said this thing was 11 inches. It was basically a foot. It's not like long distance that we knew like in the 90s when it's like, oh, the call is long distance. That means it's from China. China. <laughs> it's not like that. It means like not in the same house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, that's why long distance could be, yeah, the literally the house across the street um, or it could be the, the, you know, the town over. Um, so I think five miles is a good middle ground. I think one mile might be the answer, but we'll, I don't know. We're going to go five just in case it's kind of like a longer distance. There's still five miles of cable. They would have to really commit to that before this invention takes off the, takes off. It's gotta be, I'm going to say one mile. Um, which means I, I think that 5,000, I'm going to say 300 of these uh, birds, bird lengths go into the distance of the call. 
Okie doke. How many birds? Say that again. 5,300 because it's 11 inches and it's, there's 5,100 something feet in a, in a mile. So I just put some extra cheddar on because it's shorter than a foot. All right. So the correct answer is 33,882 birds because the call was placed between Brantford and Paris, Ontario, Canada. So two different towns. And it was six miles. Oh, I should have gone with five. See, I, when, when you said five and then you said it was only 5,000, I was like, wait, what? How could that be? No, no, no. Uh, I was like, you're so th- close to your guess. My thinking was this is like, you know, he's an inventor. And so he has to first prove the, the uh, you know, the use of his new machine. And so and rather than somehow f- secure the funding for six miles of telephone wire, the first, the very first long distance call outside of like the building he was in would probably not be that far away. But uh, clearly, he, I was he wrong. was he had some momentum in his career, I think, at this point. <laughs> yeah, the phone the phonograph was really bolstering him at that point. <laughs> uh, okay. Oh no! Wait, no! Wait, Thomas Edison came up with the phonograph. Never mind. <laughs> um, <laughs> male. Let's talk about male weight. Uh, they're 210 to 215 grams. Let's call it 215 or 0.4 pounds. How many bellbirds go into the weight of the great bell of Damazetti, which is possibly the largest bell ever cast? That's right. Damazetti, not Damazetti, the YouTube, the energy beer drinking YouTuber. The YouTuber from 2010. I think he's still making stuff, but is this, he really? is, this is one word, and it's D-H-A-M-M-A-Z-E-D-I. Tom Mazzetti, yeah. Interesting. I wonder if he fashioned his name after that. Would you um, like to know a hint? Because here it's coming. Yeah. Uh, the bell was cast on the 5th of February, 1484, by the order of King Tom Mazzetti of... Hanthawadi Pegu, which is in modern day Myanmar. The bell was stolen by Portuguese mercenary warlord Philip de Brito e Nicotes in 1608. He tried to transport it across the river and to, to be made into cannons, but uh, he put it on a raft and towed it with his flagship galleon. At the intersection of Beg- of the Bago and Yangon rivers, the raft broke and the bell sank into the water. Oh, and it also dragged the ship down with it. A galleon? Yes. The bell has not been found to this day. Now I'm, I want to dedicate my life to the, uh, the finding of this sunken treasure. It, it, now, you can see why it took me so long to do this measure up, because... I was deep diving into the story behind this bell. <laughs> it, that is a fascinating mystery, and now I want to travel there with some scuba gear. Well, the reason, and... oh, well, like the the famous famous um, professional scuba diver James Blunt, not to be confused with the musician. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would thought you were going to say Jacques Cousteau, and I was just nope. like, "Damn, beautiful!" <laughs> he dove down and he couldn't find it. The 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 issue is it's a first of all it's a huge like intersection of the two major rivers, and it it's like very trafficked. It's highly trafficked. It's got muddy, murky bottoms, and there's multiple shipwrecks in the same area. So there's a lot of yeah, stuff down there. 
It's not like the ocean where occasionally you'll have clear days where you can shine your light and look at stuff. So you need a metal detector and just keep pulling stuff. They up they use eventually... sonar and this and that and they they because it's hard to, d- to detect with sonar because it's like oh there's loads of stuff down there. So uh, what when was it stolen by the Portuguese? Uh, sixteen oh eight. Okay, the age of sail or the at least the beginning of it. A galleon. <laughs> it means it's got to be heavier than the anchor, right? It's like the, the anchor's super heavy, and that's supposed to just you know stop the boat from moving but it doesn't bring the boat down true but i feel like anchors today like we've talked about anchors before in this podcast and oh yeah but those those anchors are the size of houses yeah this the, these the galleon anchors are probably way lighter than the ones we have today so i'm going to say straight up ton 2000 pounds and you said this is zero the the uh bellbird is 0.4 pounds which is basically half a pound it's a little lighter than that, so we're going to say 4,000 with an extra slice of cheddar on top of that because it's 0.4 and not 0.5. So I'm going to say 4,200 birds go into this bell. Before I give my answer, uh, here's another fact about this bell. They, th- When the uh, King Domizetti wanted it to be cast... His uh, magi, essentially, his astronomer, uh, said, it's not a good time. It's the year of the, I forget. It's the year of the shark. Something crazy. It's the year of something bad. And it's just, if if you build it, it's going to come out not making a sound. He built it anyway. It didn't come out not making a sound, but it did come out sounding terrible. Apparently, according to records... The sound was very unpleasant, so it was cursed at the start. I mean, since clearly I'm right, and this is a a two thousand pound bell, I can't imagine it would sound that pleasant, especially if you're next to it. Uh, it also is supported. Uh, apparently, has writing on it that no one no no one knows how to read. Um, there was a merchant that uh, went to this a uh, merchant from Europe. I forget where, but he went to to where the bell was, and he said that it had writing on it that no nation could interpret. The merchant knows all the all the languages? I'm, I, it's a dubious claim, to be sure. I wonder there's a lot he, of mystery surrounding this. I wonder if there's like it's haunted, and like the ghost of it is still trapped underneath the bell in the bottom of the, the river, and, and there's a curse on it, and if you pick up the bell, then you'll turn into a, a zombie pirate and have to roam the seas. This bell is ripe for folklore. I hope we find it one day so that wherever it is, we'll have a lot of folklore around it. Yeah, that would be awesome. So what's the answer? The answer is 1,381,874.43 bellbirds. The bell was 655,000 pounds. I'm, oh my goodness. I wonder if they're basing that off of like what how how heavy it had to be to drag down a galleon because we don't have it to measure now. That's that six over six hundred thousand pounds. It's not like they could have put it on a scale in sixteen oh eight. It's interesting how they got that. I'd be see. I want to read more about this bell. <laughs> <laughs> but we we can't talk about the bell anymore. We have to talk about the bell bird. Okay. Do you have any fast facts? Not really. This is a heavily understudied uh, bird, so I'll tell you its diet, and then we can move on to the major fact. Good. We're running out uh, of time. 
So they mostly eat fruit. And in fact, according to the handbook of the best birds of the world, they only eat fruit. Subjective. Or the, or the only... <laughs> oh, wait, I read that wrong. <laughs> it's not the best birds of the world. It's the handbook of the birds of the world. Uh, but I, re- I, I so wish the, it was... Let's, let's, let's commit to writing the book of the best birds of the world. <laughs> The handbook of the best birds of the world according to life death and taxonomy and it's gonna be like crude drawings by us and we're like this one's cool because of this and then we move on <laughs> um <laughs> well yeah so according to this handbook um they only eat fruit and they usually pluck the based on observation um they usually pluck the fruit off of trees while flying rather than perching first and grabbing the fruit after that Okay. And uh, that's it. But if they're anything like most ins- most uh, passeriforms, they probably also eat insects. But uh, it has yet to be confirmed because okay. nobody wants to look at these guys for very long because they're hideous and have a giant dreadlock c- coming out of their nose. Well, uh, that may change. Here's the major fact. Um, the white bell bird may be understudied so far, but it has recently made a name for itself. Uh, it just... Enter the record books as the loudest recorded animal. Okay, it's Joe in the editing studio. I said the white bell bird is the loudest animal, but it's actually just the loudest bird. The loudest animal is a sperm whale, I think. But if I say it again, just know it's not the loudest animal. It's the loudest bird. The record was previously held by another member of their own family, the Screaming Piha. (laughs) <laughs> uh, which is a huge bummer because the piha has really built a built a brand around its loudness <laughs> even even i forget the binomial name but if you look it up it has something like loud in the name or voice in the name um like like vocal something is the species name v- vocus mac or vox maximus or something like no, that no no not not that quite on the nose uh but um the piha is still louder in its in its. It has the loudest bird song, but the bellbird has a louder call. Um, the bellbird was able to reach an amplitude of 125 decibels, which is louder than marching bands, rock concerts, and ambulance sirens. It's nearly as loud as a jackhammer and roughly the same as a mnemonic drill. What's the pain threshold? We just talked about this. So at that volume, without earplugs, you reach the daily recommended sound exposure limit between one and seven seconds before damaging your hearing. The, you said daily? Yeah. So every day you can get a certain amount of decibels, and if so if that thing squawks in your ear... Um, yeah, the recommended limit is for like construction workers and stuff that are like jackhammering, and it's like... The union only wants you to jackhammer for a certain amount of time before your ear hearing explodes. Before you, not probably not that dramatic, but just lose some hearing. I mean, they wear yes. ear protection. The, the, so the, there are there are measurements without earplugs, and there's measurements with hearing protection. Um, but luckily, the bellbird only sustains that level for about a second. Its call is about a second long when it gets really loud. Apparently, like the the mechanisms for the the loudness can't be sustained so that's why the the piha still has the loudest bird song which lasts longer than the bellbird's call um because the bellbird 
just the nature of it's the physics of making sound could only sustain that for a little tiny second. But the call... It, it tolls rather than sings. Yes. The call also sounds like a machine, not a bird. Have you heard it? I have heard it. It sounds like the shields are down on a Star Destroyer. Oh, pl- so- It sounds like an alarm. I'll play it uh, for the listener right now. Yeah, so it, it definitely doesn't sound like a bird. You wouldn't hear that... I'm- I think it's. I think it would sound like a machine or construction or something. It also doesn't sound like a bell, at least in the conventional sense. It sounds like the bell that might release you from class or a fire alarm or something like or that. Or from like Azkaban, might release what? you from Azkaban. <laughs> it sounds otherworldly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just, it, yeah, definitely. It's. I when I first heard it, I was like, this sounds like a fire alarm to me. <laughs> I guess yeah. It's it's like got a siren quality. And that fire fire alarms are like deafening, so I imagine this is pretty close to that. Uh, birds make calls as a part of mating displays. Um, bird mating can be elaborate, uh, and male birds compete with one another to attract females. See the bowerbird episode we've done. Uh, most loud calls are designed to attract attention from far away, but that may not be the case with the bellbird. Researchers Jeffrey Podos and Mario Con Haft uh, published a report in 2019 called Extremely Loud Mating Songs at Close Range <laughs> in White Bellbirds. Uh, I wonder what that's about. The, 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 you can't judge a book by its cover, though, so listen, you have to read it. <laughs> research papers are always very on the nose with their titles. Um, the report said that the bellbirds actually are very close to each other when they make this call. It's likely that the loudness is just an elaborate display of mating eligibility rather than a, a function of going for distance. So hmm. uh, it's led to an ironic consequence. So the male's calls have gotten so loud that the females need to maintain distance despite being interested in the male. Males only call the um, call that loudly when the female is on a display perch, quote unquote, uh, which is like when they're sitting on a perch watching the, or interested in the the male. Um, the report uh, concluded by saying, we propose that the bellbird females balance an interest in sampling males at close range with a need to protect themselves from hearing damage. They're like, all right, all right, all right, all right. You can, you can stop. I'm, I'm interested. Don't just, just, don't, just don't do it again, please. <laughs> My brain is melting. <laughs> so the males will uh, call that loud when they're on the display perch, and in mid song, when she reaches the display perch, they turn to face her directly to blast her with the sound. That's <laughs> like, uh, it's like, hey, baby, look how strong I am, and then just flinging your fists around. <laughs> So she's like, she's like, I'm interested, but I really don't want to get too close. <laughs> wow, so strong, and also like, please, I'm, I'm, I'm scared for my own safety. You, you, you had me at blah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's all I got. Quite an interesting, loud, loud bird. Yeah, interesting looking and interesting sounding for sure. So that is the white bellbird folks so for you out there in podcastia gird your loins 
take a deep breath and make a joyful screech like the white bellbird here in life, death, and taxonomy. Hey, psst, LDT listeners, did you know we have t-shirts available for purchase? We have shirts, hoodies, and kids' tees. Just go to teespring.com slash stores slash taxonomy tees or go to ldtaxonomy.com slash taxonomy tees and click the link. Thanks for listening, engaging, and maybe getting some merch. Life, Death, and Taxonomy is my favorite in the world podcast. <laughs> Nice. I should have said, braid your waddle. (laughs) (laughs) It looks like a skin tag. It like yeah, a big one. I'll never get the the bearded one out of my head though.